All right, let's go ahead and get started. Um, since since we're basically all here, um, usually teens wait till like nine ten to start. Um, I'm not sure why. Maybe you parents can know where they are <laughs> between nine and nine ten. But um, anyways, um, continuing week two of this study, I handed out some outlines from last week, um, and that's basically just all the information I went over last week. Um, so if you want to take that and look at it, next week we'll kind of do um, we'll kind of cap off the part where I just tell you a lot of data and we'll just kind of talk about what what we've learned I guess um, so that's kind of what you can do with that I'll have another outline not an, not an outline um, a packet with some information that you can take and we'll talk about that as well next week um, just some survey stuff um, that's where I have okay um, so just Real quick, a review. Last week we talked about the forces that are shaping Gen Z, um, according to Barna's research. So, um, the first one is that they're screenagers; that they that the amount of time they spend on their phones um, and the way that they interact with the world is dictated by screens. The second one is that there's a post-Christian worldview now. Um, teenagers just don't have the same background that a lot of us might have had growing up, with some sort of knowledge about the Christian faith. Um, safe spaces, um, that's both just a commentary on this new thing that we're experiencing and sort of the overuse in some ways of that thing um, that prevents um, Generation Z from having to experience opposing viewpoints that might make them uncomfortable. Um, that's a characteristic there. Um, real safety is a myth, according to Gen Z. Um, for them, their future outlook is pretty bleak. Um, they don't see a good chance of getting a job. They don't see a good um, potential for much good in the future. Uh, we talked about the comparison between Harry Potter for millennials and um, what's it called? Hunger Games? Yeah, for Gen Z. And those works of fiction really reflecting the way the different generations kind of view the future and view uh, narrative. Uh, next, diversity. It's the most diverse generation that has ever existed in the United States. Um, I think I said the kindergarten class that started in 2016 um, was the first class in American history that had more non-white students than white students um, across the entire United States. Um, and finally, the offensive one, double-minded parenting, uh, being overprotective in some ways and underprotective in other ways. Um, and that's definitely something we, we can talk about in the discussion um, next week. So, um, just kind of jumping in real quick so you can see, this is just an overview of all of the demographics in this study. Um, so Gen Z, you can see, was a higher percent non-white or other things. And then that's, that's basically what that is, um, just race statistics. So you can see um, increasing diversity there. Um, and that's just this study. That doesn't reflect necessarily the U.S. population. Um, but just so you have an idea where we're coming from. This week we focused a little bit more on some of those things. So um, next, um, how Gen Z, this is what we're talking about today, Gen Z identity. Um, basically how they define their own identity um, and what things are most important to them. Um, 
some definitions before we get into this. Um, first, we have churched Christians, um, which are people who identify as Christian but have not attended church within the past six months. And then we have engaged Christians, um, which these are just Barna's definitions, which they use to help them quantify data. So um, engaged Christians are people who identify as Christian, um, have attended church within the past six months, and strongly agree with each of the following. Um, the Bible is the inspired word of God and contains truth about the world. I have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in my life today. I engage with my church in more ways than just attending services. And I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. Um, so those two, just keep those two things in your mind because I'll be using those terms pretty frequently um, when talking about this stuff for today. Um, so here's just kind of a, a generational comparison of what things are important to a sense of self. Um, and it's, it's probably a little bit hard to read, so I'll help you out a little. So the dark blue here is Gen Z. Um, and on that far side, we have Gen Z's. 43% say their professional and educational achievement um, are very important to their sense of self. Um, you can see it's a lot smaller than all the others. They're almost double the like older adults, Gen X and boomers. Um, so another notable one is the next one, hobbies and pastimes, just like personal interests. Um, group of friends is a big deal. Um, they also were higher than everybody else in gender and sexuality, which is gonna be one of the ones we'll talk about, but just an overview of all of them. Um, political affiliation is pretty much even across all of them, except for millennials. So <laughs> millennials probably need to be a little bit less concerned with that. Um, anyways, moving on. Um, wait, there was some notes on that one. I should probably make sure I covered it. Yep, covered it. All right. Is this actually the next one? Yeah. So this one also, this is a graph I made myself out of the one in the book because I didn't want to take a picture and put it up. Um, but because of that, the titles are all tiny and I don't know how to fix that. But um, my blank is very important to my sense of self. Um, split between races, um, we can see some big differences. Um, so white people don't think that their race is, and this is just teenagers, white teenagers don't think that their race is very important to their sense of self. Um, basically, um, those things. So the first one is professional and educational achievement, then it's race and ethnicity, then religion and religious beliefs, and then family background and upbringing, and then gender and sexuality. Um, so, just interesting to look at. Um, and that's all in Gen Z, not, not counting any adults. So, then we have a similar comparison, but this is engaged Christian Gen Z versus all other Gen Z. Um, and so what's very important to my sense of self, obviously the, the most stark one here is uh, religious, religion and religious beliefs for engaged Christians that 89% of them said this is very important to my sense of self um, compared to 28% amongst the rest of their peers. Um, family background and upbringing also pretty high there. Um, professional and educational achievement is interestingly also higher in engaged Christian teens. I don't really know what that means. 
the region I'm from, that one's a little bit weird too. Like, I wonder if those are related to being an engaged Christian or, um, but then also gender and sexuality is higher among engaged Christians than all other Gen Z teens. Um, which probably has to do with churches teaching in response to the cultural conversation around those topics. Um, so yeah, uh, moving on. So jumping into the first major topic, um, sexuality and gender is one of the main uh, ways that Gen Z defines identity um, in themselves. This is an important thing for them to figure out when they're trying to say, this is who I am. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's possible that just because they're teenagers and they're physiologically going through like changes that hormonally make their bodies think sexuality is super important, um, that could be part of why they responded. Um, so like in such, I don't know, whatever word I'm trying to say on this topic, um, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Okay. I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> Got this thing coming up this week. Um, so the amount of conversation and debate on this topic is also likely to shape their perspectives into the future and not just the debate amongst themselves, but the fact that they see that this is something that people just keep talking about. Um, that seems like it's really important. Um, let's see. I didn't put my uh, letters in there. Oh, well. So the cultural conversation just kind of covered that. Um, the next thing, um, engaged Christian teens um, are more likely to consider, like we just saw in that last chart, um, their gender or sexuality is central to their sense of self, um, probably because of responses from church teaching that. Um, other sexuality is rising um, in, in crazy amounts in this generation. So... Um, heteros, people who describe in, in one, let me start that sentence over. Um, one in eight, 13 through eight, 18 year olds in this study, um, which is about 12%, um, describes their sexuality as something other than heterosexual or straight. Um, and for context, as long as Barna has asked about sexual orientation, including on this study with adults, about 3% of adults have identified as something other than straight. Um, so that's a huge jump. That's 400%. Um, so it's notable for sure. Um, next one. Uh, gender is by choice or feeling is what Gen Z generally thinks. Uh, only about half of today's teens um, believe one's sex at birth defines one's gender. Um, one third says gender is what a person feels like. 12% don't know how to answer and a smaller percentage say a person's sexual desires or sexual attraction or the way society sees a person. Um, contrasting that, 75% of engaged Christian teens say one's gender is the sex a person was born with. 19% um, of those engaged Christians say it's what a person feels like. Um, and then the views are more mixed among churched um, Christians, uh, which is the other category. Um, 27% say feelings and 56% say birth sex. So that one's a little bit closer to just what the rest of Gen Z thinks. So that's um, kind of some info on gender and identity. This is just that data that I went through um, laid out again. So all Gen Z, 48% say 
sex someone born as, uh, 33, what a person feels like um, compared to the engaged Christians over there. So, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, the next one, uh, here it is. Um, their mindset is marked by compassion and confusion. So some of the answers um, in Barna's study were like conflicting with each other from the same kid because they're not really sure how to answer a question that they think applies to this friend that they have, you know? Um, so opinions were constantly changing. Um, they were sometimes contradictory. Um, it seems like Gen Z has a, a deeper solidarity to, or a deeper desire to express solidarity with marginalized groups, um, which is probably why some of the answers are scattered like that. Um, and part of it's because they just don't know how to answer. Um, so gender questions and peers, just gonna talk a little bit about some of the, um, some of the ways they answered questions when it was related to someone they know. Um, so this is the breakdown of this question. If a friend was questioning their gender, I would feel 45% say neutral. Um, let me make sure I know who this is. Yeah, I think this is just all teens. Um, no, this is not all teens. Man, if only I labeled this one. Um, I think this is, well, I'll figure it out in a second. So 45% of Gen Z is neutral. 31% um, is concerned. 11% is happy for them. And 14% is not sure. Um, I'm pretty sure this is among engaged Christian teens. Okay, almost back. Yeah, so, um, but within faith groups, uh, about the same percentage of engaged Christian teens would discourage their friends' plans to change genders as would encourage it. It's 24 versus 21%, and about 40% would do neither. Um, engaged Christians are more likely than teens with no religious affiliation to be concerned for a friend who wants to change their gender. 53% versus 24% in non-religiously affiliated teens. Um, and that one, just like regardless of anybody's opinions on anything, anytime somebody is asking that deep of identity questions, concern should be part of the response. Even if you think differently, always. That's, that's a, like a signpost of some deep psychological issues, whether or not it's for the better or not. Um, so that like the concern thing I think should be higher. And I think, you know, we can communicate that you can love somebody while still being concerned for their safety. In fact, that is how you love someone. Um, so there's just that one. That was maybe a little bit of opinion. Um, so then also half of Gen Z think gender is talked about too much in today's society. Um, but they also think that among their peer group, among the rest of Gen Z, Gender is talked about just the right amount, which is <laughs> probably not super surprising. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I thought that was really great. It's like, wait, you guys are talking about it more than we are. So, anyways, um, the next one. So that was gender and sexuality. It's a huge thing for Gen Z and figuring out who I am. Um, they feel like they need to be able to say, "I am this gender and I am this sexuality," and they don't think that there's only two choices anymore um, because culture says there's not, um, 
which makes it confusing, which we kind of talked about last week. So next, uh, friends and neighbors. Um, they find identity in their group of people. Um, and just some info on where their friends come from. 86% say most of their friends are from school. 31% from school-based extracurriculars. This is across all Gen Z. Um, 25% say athletic teams. 24% say their neighborhood. And 19% say mostly from church. Um, and then in engaged Christians, it's 66% of them that say um, church is where their friendships are based. Um, 31% um, engaged Christians say church is 66%. And then church teens say 31%. Um, so then, let's see. There. Next, um, diversity and ethnicity and ideas um, is, is very common amongst Gen Z friendships. Um, it gives a, a good sense of identity to teens for them to know how they're different than the other people, for them to feel unique in their friend group because they're this one. They're the one who thinks this way. Um, and they kind of like it that way. And they don't, like, they don't have any desire to really, like we said last week, exchange opposing ideas. They know that they're different from each other, and they'd rather just not address it. Um, good in some ways, maybe not super healthy in other ways. Um, this is interesting, too. Um, we're kind of, we're basically split into even thirds on this question. Um, most of my friends do not share my beliefs. Um, like, a third agree, a third is not sure, and a third disagrees. Um, so that third that's not sure is like, what do you guys talk about? <laughs> Do you, like, just talk about things that it's not possible to disagree on? Like, and what are those things? Um, so that's just an interesting... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they find things like that. Like, it's possible to disagree on anything. <laughs> yeah, memes. Yeah, that's probably it. They're probably just all, like, saying nebulous things. They probably say it, and then they're like, but I don't really know. Yeah, actually, that is... 100% true. I hear that all the time. Like, a comment in class, in, in teen class, is like, here's a comment, but I'm not really sure. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you just said the thing. <laughs> like, nobody's really sure. Like, we're just talking. It's okay to say that stuff. So. That's something that we've struggled with as parents of a teen, is how to have healthy discussions where you can disagree or, and that you can actually discuss, like, a, a nice, like, discussion. Yeah. That's something that we have tried really hard yeah. And it's, well, our kid is a little different because she's very black and white thinking. Right. But also, it's just, um, I don't know, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard to get them because you don't have control over yeah. everything they do. They're right. their friends, their peers. Yeah. But you want them to be able to be critical thinkers. Yeah. And that's been really, I feel like, difficult. Yeah. I would agree. She and Abigail are still friends. Yeah. They do disagree on quite a bit, though. Totally differently. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah, and I think there's a lot of exchange of ideas in some teens, but man, some of them are just like... But then they only share memes. Right, yeah. Well, that's that's how they fix it. It's like, yeah. we might have disagreed, but let's pretend we didn't and do something else, you know? Do you think, too, that some of that is just that question? I mean, I yeah. that question. I wouldn't know how to answer that question, honestly. Like, yeah. most of my friends do not share my beliefs. That, that, that most part yeah. is a little bit hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good point. And it's probably like if we did the engaged Christians where they are like 66% of my friends are from church, they'd probably be like, well, probably most of them share my beliefs, you know? Um, yeah. So for me, I work with a bunch of millennials. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really common 
Yeah. How lucky of you. So. Yeah. <laughs> Around your age. Kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say 90% of them do not share the same beliefs as me, if not more. Yeah. And some of them have told me openly that they've never been to church ever in their lives mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's just like, for me, I can't really wrap my mind around that yeah. at all. And, you know, and it's just like, I look at kids at school and like, I go to my kids' sports or whatever, and you can kind of tell sometimes who might actually go to church on a Sunday or something like that. Yeah. And who doesn't. And right. It's, it's a majority. So, I mean, I think that graph is way off. Yeah. As far as who shares my beliefs, yeah. even even for our kids, I mean, right. it's like. Well, I think so I think what we're probably seeing is this not sure. It's probably kids who are answering not sure because they're not sure what they believe themselves. You know, and so then you have disagree is because it's like, well, I don't think my friends are that different than me, and then agree because they're like, yeah, my friends and I get along. You know, yeah. So that's that could be what is actually going on with that graph. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, any other thoughts on the, what was that last one? Friends and that kind of stuff. Anybody agree that friends are a huge influencer and identity former for teens? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it would, it would be good to compare this with other generations probably, but I don't have all of that data. So, um, this one will have some more generational comparison, but goals and priorities for Gen Z is a huge deal. Um, Success and achievement um, is a big deal. And Gen Z equates happiness with success and generally speaking um, defines success in terms of financial and educational achievement. Um, so, which is also not super surprising. I would say that that's generally the way our culture um, like frames success. Um, Gen Z is also characterized by um, an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, teens are like, pretty pretty in tune with the fact that they can start a YouTube channel or become an Instagram influencer and be their own boss and make their own money. I mean, a lot of them are trying to do that, you know, or the new thing is TikTok. They want to go viral on TikTok because then they can make money from that somehow. I don't really get it all, but um, yeah, so, but they have a, a self-starting kind of mindset. I um, mean, they see, they see like, their future success as dependent on whether or not they're starting something up or whether or not they have a unique idea, kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's the, the males that are super lazy. Yeah. For that fear of not making it or something. Yeah. Because that surprises me. Distrust of establishment. Yeah, that's part of it for sure. Um, being famous is a big goal for Gen Z. Um, like they want notoriety, they want people to notice them. Um, just a little asterisk by asterisk by this one: um, male versus female. Um, male Gen Z seems to exhibit a general lack of purpose. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they there's declining college enrollment among men, um, as well as male unemployment rates in the in the young ages. It's like two percent higher in males versus females. Um, my theory is probably the screen stuff and video games and porn and social media. Like, there's no purpose for young males. Although porn is not just a male problem. Let me just throw that out there for any of you who are not I sure. See even just social media being more geared toward women because it's just social. 
yeah. It is, yeah. It's got different kind of interactions. Yeah. But like generally speaking, young males are less motivated to go get a job or to get their driver license or, or that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, educationally, even 40 years ago, 35 years ago, when I was getting my education degree, the big thing at that time was boys are being called on way more than girls. Yeah. We need to start yeah. paying attention to Yeah, and even if they haven't been like downplayed, probably if it is if it's less like graspable, you know, like maybe if it is more equal, it you know like it doesn't seem as attainable for guys because it used to be like, yeah, this was your thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that would definitely be interesting. My guess would be that demographically would have more to do with financial standing than anything else. You know, kids who don't feel like they need to succeed in order to survive are probably less likely. But I think there's probably a lot of factors in the male lack of purpose. But I mean, I've seen it too. You know, it takes a lot more effort for me to motivate certain guys in my youth group to do anything. Um, whereas like the girls sometimes will just do it, you know, like not talking about like whether or not they're doing the right or wrong thing, just like, Hey, we're going to do this thing. Um, if I don't like individually text the guys, they won't come or they'll forget about it or whatever. Yeah. Um, you mean like the general lack of purpose? Well, there's not really any Gen Z in church leadership yet, but um, yeah, yeah, um, but I do think if I had to just make a general guess on church leadership across the board, I would guess it's moving more towards the female side, um, in, in like all churches across America. That would be my guess. Um, so the next, this next graph is a, um, comparison of different kinds of Gen Z um, and what is important about their future. So religious faith um, for Gen Z is 53% um, and pretty low for everybody else, um, engaged Christians at least. 
Um, personal interests and talents for those with no faith is the highest. Um, and those with, who are engaged Christians is the lowest. Uh, money, um, highest in no faith and other faith. Um, and also unchurched Christians, um, which I didn't define that earlier. Unchurched Christians are people who identify with the name. We talked about that last week. But nominal Christians maybe identify with the name but aren't really interested in being involved in, in church or wouldn't really agree with any other like quantifying statements about faith. Um, parents is pretty low across the board. Sorry. <laughs> um, friends, also pretty low. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is the time when kids are, I mean, they're up 12, 13 is when they're starting to switch from influences, the mm-hmm. big influences in their life become their peers rather than their parents. Yeah. And I think that's a very normal growth process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, three. I can't remember what number four is. Four, there's, there's one that has to do with parents and role models, um, but I don't remember where that is in here. So, um. Goals and priorities. Um, priorities are changing um, compared to previous generations, um, and there's generally a reluctance to embrace adulthood. Um, we see How that they in. Um, they want to succeed by being famous on YouTube. Yeah. You don't have to be an adult to do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so 52% of Gen Z are somewhat excited about becoming an adult, and 28% are not looking forward to it. Um, there's also been a dramatic drop-off nationally in teenage driving. Um, basically, all baby boomers had their license by their senior year, um, and now more than one out of four seniors don't have their drive, uh, driver's license. I think that's partially because they don't have to drive anymore for social interaction. Like, they just hang out on their phones. Plug for church van here. Church van. Church van. Yeah, we should get <laughs> None of the elders are in here. <laughs> Wait. Sorry, Chuck's back there. <laughs> He's hiding them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, analysts believe generational apathy towards growing up is evidence of a creeping lap- lack of purpose and meaning across the board, uh, which comes even more sharply into focus when we look at what teens say they want to accomplish before age 30. So here's that info. Um, this is Gen Z versus millennials. Um, and it's confusing because these things are not the same words. It's just ranked on top. So the first one is finishing education, starting a career, becoming financially independent compared to the same stuff in slightly different order for millennials. Um, But you also see down here like trying to become famous and influential is 5% for millennials um, and 9% for Gen Z. So that's definitely a significant difference. But then these three I thought were interesting. Um, Finding out who you really are. 40% 40% of millennials, 31% of Gen Z. Um, so that's not as important anymore. Uh, follow my dreams, up 24%. Even though they didn't grow up with Mr. Rogers, so he didn't ruin everything after all. Um, so then becoming more mature spiritually, and this is not a question about Christian faith. This is a like question about spiritual things, um, which every person is a spiritual being. Um, but down... 13%. Um, so there's a lot of changes like that that you see certain things becoming more important um, and other things becoming less important. Um, but a lot of the things that we saw in millennials are being amplified in Gen Z. Um, yeah. 
Not very many. 12%. Yeah. Goes along with how Yeah. Yeah, being a parent and and this is all before age 30. So so like it it could be that a lot of these things are maybe priorities for teens, but they think, "Oh, well, but while I'm in my 20s, these are the things that I actually want to do." And then after that point, maybe I'll want to become a parent or maybe I'll want to become more mature spiritually um, or find out who I really am, which the 20s is, I think, when you're supposed to do that. I'm not totally sure on that, but. But it's 13 through 18 year olds compared to 13 year, eight through 18 year olds millennials. Okay. That's like the same data same for both. Data. For both cases. So yeah, it's not millennials' current answers. It's like Nathan's already out of his 30s, so he can't answer anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> out of his 20s. <laughs> it's okay, I'll be gone for a week. We can, we'll deal with it when I get back. <laughs> yeah. The top three are the same for millennials and Gen Z. Right, but except for higher percentages in different order. Well, no, what's interesting to me is that but yeah, they're in different order, but millennials are the result, number one. Gen Z are the means to get the result has yeah. dropped. Yeah. And that corresponds to a dateline thing that I was just talking about what seniors graduating today most look at colleges, and it's debt. Mm-hmm. Financial, how much it costs to get their degree yeah. versus the prestigiousness of the school. Right. And I think that reflects right there. Yeah, um, like how quickly can I pay this off? Yeah, how they're, they're more being more thoughtful in yeah. planning their future than the one Yeah. This is definitely potentially a good thing. But uh-huh. it's also like... Can there be a good thing? Or yeah. Good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the numbers who... Like when it's 66% who like... It's basically 66% whose like main goal is like personal career based. Uh-huh. I mean that's kind of what we're seeing in, in Gen Z is that their main goal is me. Like there's not as much in like... Emphasis on family, um, or like caring for the poor and needy, <laughs> like that's even across the bottom. Like, but don't um, you think some of that is just you? I mean, some of it, I've selfish. seen. I think generally, though, I would say that teenagers are more optimistic about and more caring for the lesser and the the needy than adults are. So I would I would put, I would say that number is probably higher than it would be if we were adults saying, "What's most important to you." Right, yeah. But, um, yeah. I don't know. I think, you know, the, the trend is towards the, like, career stuff. Um, next one is how they identify the markers of adulthood. Um, financial independence for Gen Z is the biggest one. Um, emotional maturity for millennials was the biggest. And Gen Z, like, they've switched on those two. Basically, that's what's going on there. Um, Emotional maturity, I think, is important, but I don't think Gen Z um, sees that at this point. Um, legally, an adult that doesn't really matter. I think those two on the side are really the most important ones on on this one. What does um, that mean, legally adult? I don't 18. You turned 18, and now you're an adult. Oh, when they Which I'd say, like, more than that percentage of Gen Z tells me that that's when they become an adult. But, um, yeah, role models... This is, I mentioned this earlier, um, a lot of, um, a sizable majority of Gen Z says their parents or another family member is their role model. Um, and six of the top 10 reasons Gen Z teens look up to their role model are related to career and financial success. 
Um, so that's kind of reinforcing that this is where their focus is, like being a successful, like financially career person, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, if that's your only focus, you're probably not going to have a super balanced life. Um, which also, again, that one is confusing. Um, and this is how Gen Z is. There's a lot of contradicting data, but like, it's confusing that career and financial success is such a big deal when they also have such a big lack of purpose. Like those two things don't drive unless you look at it as I have such a lack of purpose that I'm looking for the thing that will define my purpose. And that's my career. I think that's my career, you know? Yeah, no. And they're like, so they look up to these people, but they don't have the hope. Right. They're like, if I don't work really hard, I'm not going to be able to like ever have my own place. I'm going to be stuck in my parents' basements for my whole, whole life, you know? That's what I wondered is, is success just being independent <laughs> adults or, I mean, it, yeah, it's fine. Like the same thing as finding, like, you know, you have a nice car, you have a big house, you have whatever you want, you know, the American definition of success. Um, Do you think some of that, because I've heard a lot, I feel like, of parents that are, and grandparents, I want to give them what I never had. Yeah. And so it's like backfiring yeah. in a way. Well, we, yeah, we talked last, last week about the snowplow parenting thing, and then afterwards my mom was like, I'm a snowplow grandparent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, there is definitely a, a sort of a trend, I think, in parents and grandparents that you want to give your kids things or you don't want them to face adversity and you want them to, like, have the good things that you couldn't have because you can, you can give those things. Um, but there's definitely something to be said for working for stuff. Um, I'm not, I'm not one to say that like, unless you pull your up yourself up by your bootstraps and put in your, your work, you're not allowed to have anything. But, you know, I think there's definitely, um, in development, there's something about having to face obstacles and problem solve, um, and, and get through things creatively. Yeah. Like your self-esteem goes up when you work for something and you earn mm-hmm. it and you, sure. you earned that. Yeah. Then your self-esteem goes up. If, if they've not been allowed or, you know, or sometimes forced a little bit to earn something, well, how are, how did they build any self-esteem? Yeah. 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 I've seen it in my own kids' life that, you know, coming through the fire of adversity has really made her uh, leaps and bounds of others mature in certain yeah. ways. In her, and, yeah, in her self-esteem and stuff, and too. Yeah, I think that it can, but it's hard to see struggle with Yeah. Tara? Um, I was going to say, I was listening to a podcast with Bob Goff, and he talked about changing our vernacular. Mm-hmm. And instead of, I mean, we all ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. What do you want to be when you grow up? And instead asking them, who do you want to be yeah. like? So we're training them to focus more on character yeah. rather than dollars. Right. And I think that that, I mean, that really kind of hit me because we all ask that. What yeah. What do you mean when you grow up? They're asking your three-year-old, your four-year-old. Yeah. I don't know, but they can look at who they want to emulate. Right. So. For sure. Nathan? So, something that I've seen in a lot of this data is a skewed perception of suffering. Yeah. Like, if, if you just think about Facebook, Instagram, um, what you see are maybe results and or beautiful lives or delicious food or something. Um, you don't see the 500 pictures that it takes for that girl to take that selfie. Right. No. Oh, yeah. Which is a real thing. It's a real. Thing. Yeah. And you know, we, we all we all have that understanding. We talked about this last week. Um, but 
kids that grew up with that don't as much understand the balance that what's on the internet is is the small percentage of real life. Yeah. Um, but I think they have it. So suffering and then adversity is this subset of that where the only thing that they do see is there's a there's a kind of suffering that has to do with their identity. Yeah. Um, or and that's good suffering. Identity. And so that's the only thing that they have to hold on to. Yeah. But they don't have this idea of um, one thing that can lead to happiness is is a kind of suffering. Right. And Cheryl. Okay, it's all bad. They're all going, you know. No, no, I think this generation is the most amazing collaborators. Mm-hmm. They will get along with anyone. Yeah. They overlook things sometimes that we feel are like, come on, this is pretty major. But they're collaborators and coordinators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of those specific things that we've already covered and the next one, like, is what makes them that, you know? Like, they... Like, they look at people that are different than them, and they're like, oh, like, not a big deal. Or they're not really sure what the people that are around them believe. Um, and in some ways, yeah, I think you're right. And they're going to just take that face value, and they're just going to run with it. Yeah. 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 And they're really, like, we have six really good friends. Yeah. And they're just really good friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next one, um, morality and values. Um, this is one of the biggest um, identifying characteristics of Gen Z. Twenty-four um, percent of all Gen Z believes that what is morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. Twenty-one um, percent believe each individual dictates their own morality. So moral relativism, which is a big part of our culture, um, is becoming more um, more of a part of Gen Z. Um, this is just a comparison of, of uh, beliefs about moral issues by generation. Um, so 34% of Gen Z believes that lying is morally wrong, which means 66% believes it is. No, no, no. Believes it's not morally wrong. Sorry. So two-thirds say lying is not wrong. Um, uh, Christians should not use marijuana outside of, uh, or even if it's legal. Um, actually... Everybody, <laughs> elders, they're all about the same. So all of you guys believe the same thing. Yeah. Um, abortion is wrong. Um, another one. All of these, though, except for marijuana and sex before marriage, millennials beat out um, Gen Z and those two. But and I guess this one, marriage should be a lifelong commitment. Um, but you can see, just generally speaking, the trend. Um, is towards saying that these things aren't wrong or not being willing to say that these things are wrong. Whether or not they believe it, they may just not be willing to say it. Um, I think the lying one is really interesting and I would be interested in knowing more about that. Um, but yeah, and you know, like I would, I would say that generally speaking, um, Gen Z is less, feels less obligated to the other person. They may collaborate better, but they feel less obligated to like maybe be truthful. You know, so yeah. I feel like mine, mine in particular, like she's always, you can't box her into a 
a specific statement often because she'll think of all the exceptions to that. Yeah. Like she'll be like, well, was it wrong for people to hide Jews during yeah. the Holocaust and lie about it? You know, I think that's part stuff. of the lying one. That's, yeah, like they think of all the exceptions. They, they really think yeah. through before they just answer. But it's also kind of dodging the question, <laughs> I think, no, you know, like is. to say like, if you were to tell a lie, is that morally wrong? Well, they'd be like, well, but I probably had a really good reason for it. And it's like, well, everybody does. <laughs> but sometimes it's just wrong, you know? Do yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll just lie about my opinion instead of saying what I really think. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, so, socially, this is the most liberal generation yet. And by liberal, I don't mean like Democratic or Democrat Party affiliation. I mean like, like anything is okay. That's what liberal means. Um, engaged Christian has some differences. And I'm going to like finish this up real quick. Um, so, where's the thing? There it is. Okay. Just this quote and then we'll be done, basically. Um, engaged Christian teens um, are a stark contrast to their um, peers on moral issues. We see significant gaps between their beliefs and all others including other church-going teens on most moral issues, suggesting that church attendance alone does not create distinctive believers. Um, that's shocking. Instead, only those teens who grow up with strong Christian education, and that's not meaning like going to a Christian school, that means like people teaching them um, Christian values, and intentional discipleship are taking the Bible's moral principles to heart while others look more like the broader culture. One church-going team from the focus groups is a clear example. I believe in God in a higher power. I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe you necessarily have to follow the Bible step by step. I believe that if you're an overall good person and you have good intentions, that's all you need. That first one, like, I don't believe you have to follow the Bible step by step. That's a move in the right direction, probably, because it's not a step-by-step instruction manual for how to live a a good life. Um, But... If, if we have people who are coming to church as teenagers, church teens, um, and, and leaving with this notion that all you need is um, to be an overall good person and have good intentions, man, like what are we talking about as a church? Like that's, that's on the church, not on teenagers for coming away from that and not knowing what you need is Jesus. Um, so I think, you know, as we wrap this up, like may we as a church stop getting caught up in the details so that the teenagers who come here think what's important about your life is whether or not you do the right thing or the wrong thing. And so that instead that they would see what's important about your life is the specific, you know, not the details, but Jesus, you know, like, can we, can we be as a church more intentional um, about focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he's the one who gives the real impression of who we are and what we're about. And people who encounter us, the church teens, these are people who maybe don't have mentors but have encountered us. The first thing that they should say is um, those people talk about Jesus a lot. Not if those are some generally good people with good intentions and that's, that's what's different about them, you know? Um, so with that like mildly passionate and interesting point, um, I'll just, I'll wrap us up with a prayer and then Um, Sorry I went so far over time, but thank you for staying and listening. (laughs) Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that we would just um, increasingly be a people who um, represents you um, and represents Christ um, in a way that's really obvious that we're not about um, pointing out each other's flaws, um, 
or, or just trying to live a good life, but that we want to be more like you, God, and that what matters to us is that people would see you and see Jesus and see um, this beautiful gift you've given us um, of grace. Um, God, may we be um, soaked with grace so that everybody that we encounter um, gets some of it on them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.